And um, before I get into to the message, I want to tell a story. I like telling stories, and usually they're very random, so you'll have to bear with me for a little bit. I promise there's a connection point later on. Um, <laughs> but uh, the story I want to tell starts back in the early 90s, about 1992, 1993. Uh, there was a man by the name of Eugene Pauly. Uh, some of you might recognize this name. Uh, but uh, so one day, uh, he started exhibiting symptoms that were kind of concerning. Uh, he couldn't remember his grandkids name and then shortly after that he was exhibiting very severe flu-like symptoms uh, he was vomiting he uh, had stomach cramps aches chills a temperature of 105 that alone is pretty concerning I think I um, mean he was an elderly man so they were very worried about him so they he was rushed to the hospital by his wife Beverly the doctors were kind of perplexed by what was going on it wasn't just a normal flu they found out very quickly and then after a series of diagnostics, uh, they had discovered that he was suffering from a quick onset of viral encephalitis, which if you don't know what that is, I don't honestly know what that is too much. But what I can tell you is it's basically a viral infection that spread to his brain and caused swelling to happen. And the doctors, they tried to treat it quickly, but he went into a coma for about 10 days. Fighting for his life, the doctors were trying to figure out what to do, trying to, to save his life. And thankfully, they were able to treat the infection and he was able to wake up. And in terms of health, he was actually doing very well, considering he was in his 70s and had just spent 10 days in a coma. But quickly after he awoke, they realized that there may have been some lasting damage from the swelling in his brain. He was having trouble remembering what day it was. He was having trouble remembering the doctor's names. He kept, he kept repeating himself. One of the things that he kept saying was he would, he would just suddenly, it, something would come over him, he'd look at the computer and he's like, wow, that is amazing. Back in my day, those computers would have taken up several six-foot racks in a room. And he would say that probably 20 times a day to whoever was there. And it was just, it was, it was, it was kind of funny, but kind of scary at the same time. And so after doing some brain scans, they discovered that the part of Eugene's brain that stored memory and controlled emotion was virtually destroyed. Uh, any short-term memory was gone. He still had memories of who he was, although about 10 to 20 years of his life had been erased. People asked him how old he was, and he thought he was in his 50s, but he was in his 70s. Um, and it was a scary situation. And as a result, in the 90s, as they were studying the brain, he kind of, he became no, a case study for a lot of researchers to discover what, how a person could still function without that part of their brain that May, allowed them to make new memories. He quickly forgot pretty much anything that was told to him, instructions and uh, just anything. He could not repeat information very well at all, and so he was an interesting case study. The interesting part of the story, though, happens shortly after that, because his health was just in general declining, he and his wife decided to move to a new area closer to their daughter, just so they could spend more time with, with their daughter and with the grandkids. But with someone who cannot make new memories, moving to a new area is kind of a terrifying thing. So Beverly, his wife, kept a close eye on him pretty much all the time. She almost always had to be alert because he could wander away and not know where he was and not know how to even tell the people he ran into how to get home. And that's scary. And it's even scarier because if she told him not to wander off, he would forget about a minute later. So that didn't work either. So... Uh, she kept a very close eye on him. They set up a, a daily routine, and he got good at just doing that routine over and over every day. And one of the parts of his routine was a daily walk around the block. 
of course, accompanied by his wife Beverly because they were worried he wouldn't be able to find his way home. One day, however, his wife was not paying as good of attention as she should have, and Eugene slipped out the front door without her noticing. She went to go find him for the walk, and she quickly panicked. She searched through all the rooms of the house because he was known to just wander around from room to room, not really knowing what he was doing. But she quickly discovered he wasn't in the house, so she panicked, and she went outside. She started at the neighbor's house. She knocked on the doors. Nobody was really home. She figured maybe he had just wandered into a different house because they looked kind of similar, uh, but couldn't find him anywhere. She ran around the block, ran around the route of the daily walk, couldn't find him. She ran out of ideas, and so she decided to go home, call the police maybe, and, and start a more formal search for him to figure out where he'd gone. But when she went through the front door, she was surprised to find Eugene sitting in front of the TV watching the History Channel as he always did after his daily walk. She <laughs> was very confused and figured maybe I just missed him in the house somehow. I don't know how I would have done that. But then she noticed behind him on the table was a pile of pine cones that was not there before. They didn't like, just like to leave pine cones on the table. And she noticed his hands were sticky with tree sap. She quickly discovered that those pine cones were from a house several doors down and that he had wandered out, gone on his daily walk, collected some pine cones, set them down on the table, and then continued about on his day. She asked him about it and he had no idea that he'd done it, of course. He's like, what pine cones? And he wasn't even sure why his hands were sticky. Um, but he had somehow managed to go on his daily walk all by himself. The researchers and his wife and everyone, they were kind of baffled by how he was able to do that. He couldn't even remember where his house was. The researchers took him out in, front, in the street in front of his house and asked him, can you point to which house is yours? And he's like, no, do I live here? He didn't, he had no idea of any of that. They asked him to draw a map of the neighborhood. He couldn't do it. But then they just watched him and about the same time every day, he'd get up, he'd go for a walk around the block and come home. And usually he'd pick up some kind of souvenir along the way. Sometimes it was pine cones, sticks, uh, <laughs> neighbor's papers. One time he brought home a puppy. <laughs> They're not really sure how he did that, but he'd, he'd just go about his daily work. It was a routine, and they were amazed by that, that he was able to, to do something as complex as going around a neighborhood, but not know he was even doing it. And it, it kind of, it led them to study a, a part of the brain that hadn't been studied too much before. Uh, it's called the basal ganglia. I think I'm saying that right. What they discovered is though that that part of the brain, even though we don't have memory, that part of the brain, after you repeat an action long enough, that part of the brain stores that in your memory and starts to do it for you so you don't have to have it consciously on your mind. Imagine uh, when you're learning to drive, one of the hardest things, well at least for me, was learning how to back out of the driveway. Because you mean, you, you start, you drive, you learn how to go forward. That's hard enough as is the first time you're driving. But then you have to do everything in reverse. You have to remember which way to turn the wheel. You have to adjust the mirror, look backwards. There's a whole bunch of things, complex tasks that you're doing as you back out of the driveway. But for you experienced drivers this morning, as you backed out of your driveway, you probably didn't even have a second thought about it, did you? It, it was just automatic. And so they discovered that the part of the basal ganglia, that part of your brain, it stores habits and it stores routines. Even for someone who cannot form new memories, he was still able to form habits. I could go on talking about that. Oh, I, I'll tell you one more thing. He, <laughs> they, it, it, was, it was amazing how often, how he was able to do things like that. They would literally, they would sit him in his living room. They'd ask him to draw a map of his house. He couldn't draw a map of the rooms. They'd ask him to point out which door 
led to the kitchen, which was just a couple feet away from him. He couldn't do it. He's like, I, I know, you know, I don't really know where the kitchen is. Then they'd say, okay, imagine you're hungry. What would you do? He would get up, walk through the door that he couldn't point out, go to the kitchen, grab a jar of nuts, and then come back. And then they'd continue on, and he's like, he'd be confused why he had the nuts, one thing, because he wasn't actually hungry. But <laughs> he, he would be able to do any of those tasks automatically um, as, a, as just a habit. So I could, I could go on telling you more stories about him. This, this story is one I learned from a book called The Power of Habit. It's a fascinating book on just habits and how, why we do what we do and how we repeat it. But the reason I want to talk about why I'm talking about habits this morning is that if you really think about the habits, we all have them. We all have these things that we repeat every day, every week, that are just a part of our daily routine that after time we don't really think about what we do. We all have these habits. And if you really take a step back and you look at your life, the habits that you have reflect the things that are most important to you. If you value fitness and nutrition, then you have probably developed habits of exercise and eating right. They, they, they coincide. Your habits very rarely are not a reflection of the things that you value in your life. So if you want to find out what any person really values, you don't ask them, what is it that you value? And then they just write down a list of the things they value. They, some of those might be right, some of them might not be. What you do is you look at the way they live. You look at the way they go about their day. I think the best reflection of what someone values is their calendar. If you look through their day-to-day -day routine and what they do, that is an honest and sometimes scary reflection of the way we live our lives and the, the things that we hold to be the most important. And just like habits though, it, like we can say we value something and it's not easy to reflect that with our habits. Habits take time to develop. They take time and effort. And so initially, if we want to value something, it takes a lot of effort to show that and to reflect that in the way we live our lives. But over time, values become reflected by the habits that we've formed. And it becomes a little easier as it goes on. And the reason that I, we're talking about that today is that this morning I've been tasked with talking about the values that we have here at Valley. Last week, Pastor Mike was talking about our, our vision and mission as a church. And if, if you don't remember, our, our vision statement is that we as a church exist to glorify God by calling all people into an abundant life with Jesus Christ. That is our vision as a church. That is the thing that we have decided. That is the direction we want to be going. Everything we do, we want to reflect that vision. From our Sunday morning worship services to our ministries that meet throughout the week to the staff, we want that vision to be our main focus. And so that's the direction we're going. But values, the things that we have agreed are important, those are the things that drive us towards that vision. If you think about our vision as a journey that we are, we are constantly striving to get to, our, our values are the gas in the tank that get us there. If our values do not align with our vision, we're not going to get anywhere. We're going to be running on E. And, and so it's important for us as a church to take time every once in a while to reflect on the things that we value. And so this morning, I won't be talking about... I, I think there are values that we say as a church that we want to reach for. Those are the values that I'm talking about this morning. But then there are things that maybe may reflected in the way we do that we're not so 
proud of that we value as a church. I'm not talking about that this morning. That, that takes a lot of time to, to get through because all of us, we're human. And, and sometimes we let our humanness get in the way of what God is calling us to do. And so our values as a church sometimes don't reflect the vision that we want. So instead of going through all of the, the maybe the negative values that we have developed as a church, I want to go through this morning the things that we want to focus on. And by focusing on them, maybe some of those, those values will go by the wayside if we recognize what we need to be striving for as a church. So that's what I'm talking about this morning. And we have six values as a church. Uh, we have worship, word, generosity, mission, family, and community. Those are our values. They're, they're on a little uh, bookmark in your bulletin in case you forgot. We have them elsewhere throughout the church. They're on our website. These are the things that we want to be focusing on as a church. And I could probably spend a sermon or a whole sermon series talking about each one of these values. So really this is just going to be a broad summary. This isn't going to be a, a typical sermon uh, where we're focusing on one thing. But I want to just give you guys a broad summary of why these values are important to us. And uh, in your bulletins, you'll find a, kind of a list of, of some of the scriptures. There's way too many to put under each of these that have to do with the values. But you'll kind of find some of the, some of the key verses that have led the leadership of the church when these values were established, that have led the leadership to say that these are the six things that we see in scripture that we want reflected in our church. And as a result of these six things, we will be a church that exists to glorify God by calling all people into an abundant life with him. So we're just going to, we're kind of going to go, this is a very high view of the values, uh, but we're going we're gonna to go through them and we're going to talk about them each a little bit one by one. And I've, I've kind of picked out one main scripture that I like that illustrates them. So feel free to keep up with me this morning as we go through the, a tour of the scriptures on some of these topics. Uh, but first off, we're going to be talking about worship. And uh, the scripture that, I, that I've chosen that goes along with that is 1 Chronicles 16, uh, 23 to 27. So you can go ahead and turn there as I, as I talk about it. But worship, when we talk about worship and the value of worship, what we are talking about is intimacy with God. It's, it's awe. It's recognizing who God is, what he has done for us, and giving him the glory and honor he's due because of that. To me, one of the, the reasons, if, if you need a reason to know to worship God, um, well, the second value we'll talk about, word, will help with that. But if we look throughout scripture, we see what God has done throughout history for his people. You in your personal lives probably have testimonies of what God has done for you. And it's all different. They're all, the stories are all different. But the one thing that remains constant is that it is God that is at the core of that. And it is God that is leading and guiding and directing us in our day-to-day -day lives. And as a result of that truth, our response as a church, we want that to be worship. And so I love First uh, Chronicles 16, 23 uh, is where I, I'm going to start. Um, coming at a time when uh, the Ark of the Covenant had been, had been returned. And so, uh, and this is kind of a celebration of what God has done for his people up until this point. And so it says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deed among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nation are, are idols. 
But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. I could just keep reading on that. I love that image, that, that image of just of worship, of declaring what God has done and giving him all of the glory for that. That's what this value is all about. And so it takes many different forms. As a, as a church family, corporately, right here this morning, our Sunday worship service, the main focus that we have every week is giving God the glory. That's why we sing songs. That's why we pray. That's why we read from God's word is because it's just a, it's a reflection of God's glory and it reminds us that he is due the praise that we give him. And so corporately, in, in everything we do, we want it to have a worshipful stance. Because worship really, uh, it's not just singing, although singing is great. It's not just prayer. Worship is a posture. It's a posture of kneeling before the Father and declaring what he has done for us. So corporately, that takes a lot of different stances. And personally, in our day-to-day -day lives, these values aren't just things that we want to reflect as a church family. We want these values to be reflected in each of us individually. And so on a personal level, we, to reflect this value, we need to make a habit of stopping and praising God for what he's done for us. That looks differently for a lot of different people. To me, sometimes that's as simple as going outdoors. I really like mountains. So going to a mountain range somewhere, is there one nearby? I'm never, I'm never really sure. I don't think so. But going to the Rockies, for instance, and just standing before the mountains and just being amazed at what God has done in that creation, that's a posture of worship. And for a lot of us, that looks differently. Um, in Minnesota, I don't think I have to encourage you to go outside, at least in the summer months. I think that's just a normal thing for us to do here. But but there's a lot of different ways that in your personal life you can have a posture of worship. But ultimately all it comes down to is, is pausing and thinking about what God has done and thanking him for it. And so that's, on a personal level, that's how we do worship. But we got to keep going on through these, these values. The next value that I want to talk about is word or God's word. That's the word we're talking about here. So if you would, uh, the, the scripture I want to talk about with that is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. You prob some of you, most of you probably don't even have to turn there to know what this verse is. This is a very common verse. But before we read that, um, as we talk about the value of word, what we are talking about is that we believe that God's word, this book that we have before us this morning, this is God's gift to us. And through it, we are given all we need for instruction, for living, for following after what God's will is for us, for salvation. So this book is important. That's, and and um, I think that's really well reflected. There's a lot of, there's some other passages throughout scripture that talk about the importance of God's word. But I, this was the one that my mind always goes straight to, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And I could probably recite it, but I just want to read it to make sure I get it right. It says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love the imagery of God breathing out scripture. This isn't just something arbitrarily he wrote down. This is his 
breath. This is just like God kind of breathed into existence creation. God's word, he breathed it out for us through these authors who, who wrote down the testament to all that God has done for us. God's word is important. The Bible is important. And so as a church family, as we reflect this value, as a church, we strive to put God's word at the forefront in everything we do. On Sunday mornings in the worship service, in Sunday school that we're having later on, in youth group, in children's ministry, in life groups, in men's ministry, women's ministry, God's word is there. And it's, and it's not just a supplement to our ideas. God's word is the source. It is the reason that we meet. It is the reason that we study and that we gather together. We can't overemphasize how important God's word is. And, and on a personal level, one, one challenge that we face is in, we conflate God's word with our interpretation of God's word. And sometimes, when, and, and I'm not saying interpretation, there, there is a way to do that spirit-led scripture interpretation. That is what we want it to be about. But sometimes we manipulate scripture to say what we want it to say. And that's not what this value is about. When we value word, we value God's word speaking to us, not us speaking through God's word, if you're catching what I'm saying there. That, that's a, it's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to do to just go on Google and say, what does the Bible say about this? And then just pick that verse out of context. I'm guilty of that all the time. <laughs> and, but it's easy to do that and then to just say, okay, well, I'm going to take that verse. That verse talks about what I'm saying. Like, um, I can do all things. And then you kind of leave out through Christ who strengthens me and the rest of the context. Very easy to do that. What we're talking about in God's word is a thorough study of God's word and a spirit-filled study. It's not us speaking through scripture. It is God speaking through scripture to us. And so that's what this value is all about. It is about God speaking to us. And we want that to be important. And we, ref we, we want to reflect that by taking this book out and reading it and praying over it. But let's continue on. We still have four more values to talk about this morning. I could, again, like I could talk about each of these for a long time, uh, but I want to honor your time this morning. So the, the next value I want to talk about is generosity. This is probably one of the harder values for us to talk about sometimes, um, but it's important. And for the scripture that I want to talk about in this, it's actually really easy to get to. It's 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 6. So in my Bible, that's just one page over. Um, but 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17. Um, in, in, this, in this value, as we talk about generosity, what we're talking about is giving freely of what we have been given by God. Not holding too tightly to anything we've been given, but being willing to give what God has so graciously given to us for the benefit of someone else. For the benefit of God's glory. So generosity, it's hard. It's very hard. And I, I think this passage kind of illuminates how hard it is. Uh, so this is 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. It says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's a lot in there. But what I see most importantly here is the part where it says, put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. And it is so selfish to hold on to that tightly and to say, I've earned this. This is mine. And the reason that this is one of the hardest values is just by nature of where we live, not Minnesota, but in, in, in the United States, in an in a affluent society, it is common for us to hold on to the things that we have worked for because we think it's all me. I have done this. I've earned it. This is my house, my income, my resources. But what Paul is saying here in his letter to Timothy is it is God who has given you these things that you enjoy. And these things that God has given to you are not bad. They are good. They are for your enjoyment. But it becomes a problem when we, when we think that it is through those things, those things that we collect and gather and hoard, that we have a true abundant life. That's, that's another part about this passage I like. As we talk about our value of calling people into an abundant life, we aren't talking about a life filled with money and possessions and a big house and nice cars. We're talking about a life that is truly life, as Paul says here. And that true life comes by generosity, by, by partially by generosity, by sharing what we have been given to help others who are in need. So as a church, this is a challenge. I, I'll admit that. But as a church, we are called to generosity by, by giving, um, not just to our church, but to, to missionaries, to ministries that are doing God's work, to people who are in need, to the people who come through our doors throughout the week who just need a tank of gas. That is how we as a church value generosity. That's how we strive for that. But I think generosity is the most difficult on the individual level. It's not just about money. Generosity includes our time, resources, our possessions, and not holding on to those too tightly, but recognizing that God gave them to us and that we have, can be a blessing to others through them. So this is a challenge for sure. And we all are in different spots. We all have different resources. But God is calling us to generosity. And that's something that we want to value as a church. Let's keep going on to the next value. I'm going to um, skip on to the value of community. We're going we're gonna to hit all these values, but next up I want to talk about community. And in, that is in uh, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 is what I want to just read for you this morning. When we talk about community, these, these last three values, sometimes we kind of get confused on the wording on what they mean. When we talk about community, we're not talking about the Chaska community. We are talking about fellowship together as a church. We are talking about people knowing each other and being invested in each other's lives and caring about each other. And, and so fellowship is important. And so Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, I think it just expresses this so well. Here's what it says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is that the Christian life is not a solo journey. It's not meant to be. It's since the very beginning, since Genesis, God has shown us that we are designed to be in community with others, that we are designed to be in relationship with others. What did God say in the beginning? It is not good for man to be alone. So, so God created Adam and Eve. He created us to be in fellowship together. That's why we gather. That's why we come together. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have smaller groups of, of people who, who get together and talk about life and, and talk about God's word. Can't forget the, the value of word. Who are focused on the idea of community. And so that does, it does take a lot of different forms. And on an individual level is, I think, again, on an individual level is where a lot of these values get difficult. Because it is possible for you to come through our doors on a Sunday morning and walk out without talking to anybody. To not be involved in another ministry. You could, you could have been coming here for years and not have known, truly known, somebody else. It's possible. And my challenge for you, though, is in our, in our Minnesota-ness, I know that you guys have a spot that you like in this church. I, mean, I can count on you guys to probably sit in a very similar spot. So, to challenge you just in this, in this value of community, do you know the people around you? Because <laughs> you probably sit next to them most every week. Some of you mix it up and change things up and like to shake up the system. But if we value the value of com- the community, you should know the people around you, especially if you sit there every week. You should be able to talk with the people that are next to you, in the hallways, in, in, in Sunday school, in all of these things. You should know those around you. And so that's challenging. Me, an introvert, I hate that, <laughs> talking to people I don't know. I would rather just go and sit in my office. <laughs> and, but it's something that God is calling us to do, to know the people around us and to be known, to open ourselves up to community. But again, we got to keep moving on. I, I would love to dwell on any of these for a really long time, but we got to keep going on. Uh, the next value I want to talk about is family. And uh, for, the, for the passage that I just wanted to share with you this morning, it's Psalm 127. There's a lot of passages that we could talk about in, in terms of family. And it's hard because our families all look different. There are, I guess what you could call typical families, and then there are families that are not typical. But ultimately, we at Valley here, we are a family of families. You sitting here this morning, you are a part of a family. Whatever that family might look like, you are a part of a family, and we value that. We value families. And, and so if you, if you don't have kids, or if, you, if your kids are already gone, don't tune this out. Um, because family, it's important. And it's in, in Scripture constantly repeats that. And so it's easy to, to really focus on the kids' ministry part of this, and that's important. But family is bigger than that. It's about at you, where you're at, in your family, whatever your family might look like, being the person that God has called you to be. Uh, but the passage that I wanted to read this morning, it's, it focuses a little bit more on, on children. Uh, and I, I love this passage of Scripture as it talks about kids. 
Um, so Psalm 127, it says this, in, starting in verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. The children that we have come through our doors, the youth that we have come through our doors, the parents, the husbands, the wives, all of you have a calling by God to fill, to fill your role. And, and most often this takes the form of, of raising and training up our children in the way they should go and training them in the way that, of the scripture, imparting these values upon them. Uh, but it, it goes beyond that too. There's husbands, as you love your wives, you have a calling by God. Wives, as you love and respect your husbands, that you have a calling by God. And if you're in a different family situation, you, you have family that you call family. All of us have different, different family buildups. Uh, I know, for me, I'm not, I've never been too close with aunts and uncles and cousins. But for some of you, you might have nieces or nephews that you're really close to. And that's important. And that's family. So ultimately what this value represents, it, value, it, it represents us valuing the kids and the youth that come through our doors, helping families to, to work on marriages and work on parenting. But it also is just helping you in your role in whatever family you're part of, helping you to, to lead and be a part of that family in a Christ-like way. Let's move on to our last value, though. Again, talk about that for a long time. Um, and our last value is mission. Now, when we talk about mission, it's, it's not missions, although some would say that's just semantics, but, but when we talk about mission, we're talking about our mission as a church. What we have been called to do. And so I was, there's really no other way about this than to talk about the Great Commission. Um, and I'm going to pull from the, the commission, the version in Acts chapter 1 because you can turn there. And I think that really illustrates what we mean by mission here. When we, when we bring up mission, it's really easy to think about going overseas, starting a, a church, going to a foreign land, learning a new language. And that is a part of our mission. But mission ultimately is doing what God has called us to outside of our doors. In Chaska, in the Southwest Metro, in Minnesota, in the United States, in the rest of the world, mission is calling all people into an abundant life with Jesus Christ, no matter where they're at. So, here's Acts 1, 7 to 8. This is what it says. This is right before Jesus ascends into heaven. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. My favorite part of the book of Acts is how you can see this commission played out. You see the disciples ministering in Jerusalem, scattering and ministering in Judea, eventually ministering to the Samaritans, and then eventually to the whole world and the Gentiles. You kind of see that sequentially played out. And I love that part of it. But we sometimes focus on the end that end part where it's the whole world. We, we feel like we need to convert the whole world. And so, 
mission is, is, it's a very broad category. Some people have a heart for global missions and some people have a heart for local missions or, or in between. We need all of that. We as a church here in Chaska have a position. We're right on the corner of a major road. We have a, a position and a calling to minister to this community. And we, we all come from different communities and you are called to minister into the community that you live in. Whether that's out west or further in towards the city, you are called to minister in that community, to be a light, to share the gospel. But as a church too, we don't want to just neglect the rest of the world. There are places in the world who the population of, of Christians is just a handful, some countries. And, and so as a church, we like to support those missionaries that are going into those places where there's just a handful of Christians and supporting the work that they're doing there. But even more than that, we, like, we want to be a church that sends out missionaries. Both on short-term or long-term stays. We'll probably be doing a, a mission trip next summer to Romania. There's a mission trip that goes out every early spring, late winter-ish down to either Jamaica or Mexico. We, we, we have a regular rhythm of sending out people to go do missions work. And we want this to be a place where missionaries are sent out from and supported. So, mission is, a, is an important value that we have here at Value. We have a missions team that is focusing on this value. Um, and so that is our six values. We have worship, word, generosity, community, family, mission. Those are important. And, and to just communicate how important those are to us, um, Pete Tornquist, he... Um, our, our head elder here at, at Valley, he's, he's thought about this a lot and he's kind of come up with a way to remember it and, and he just wanted to share that this morning with us. Because, and it actually, it helped me as I was preparing for the sermon to remember the values. So, Pete. Um, so, I'd like to start this off by me sharing, after my son was up here earlier, sharing uh, some ability he has in memorizing. I have to start with my inability to memorize. Um, so a couple years ago, when we were interviewing for the youth um, position that Caleb is now in, um, we were asked a question by Caleb, a great question. And the question was, uh, what are your values and vision here at Valley? And, you know, you would think that as an elder, I would know them right off the top of my head. I could spit them out. And I was stumbling around on the words. And I was like, oh. And this was a phone conference. So, of course, we were all looking at each other, one on the team. We're like, can we name all six type thing? Uh, so after that night, I was like, this is ridiculous. I need to get these down. And I need to have an easy way to remember. So um, up on the screen, you'll see our six values. <clears throat> we have worship, word, generosity. Uh, community, family, and missions. And I took those six words and I thought, there's just got to be a way that I can remember these things. So I, I took the first letter of each one. Um, I'm a numbers guy. I remember numbers, but words to spit them out um, is a little more difficult for me. So I took those six uh, letters, W, W, G, C, F, and M, and I started just putting out sentences on a sheet of paper. It was a sheet of paper like this. It's not this one, but um, I must have had 30 sentences that I had made up. And I finally got to the very last line and I, a couple words that had struck me, and it just came to me, and it clicked. And it was, a, it was a phrase that worked for me, so you can put it up, Josiah. And it's, what will God call for me? So I saw that phrase, 
and the connection hit me immediately. What, will, what can or what will God call for me within these visions at Valley? Um, and I've been able to memorize that phrase that, I mean, the instant I saw it, I was like, that's, that's it for me. Um, and I was able to use that phrase for, our, for my calling personally, but um, we can use it for our church's calling. Um, so what I think of our overall call as Christians, um, I think back to a couple passages from men I highly respect, men of God. Uh, one of them is, is Billy Graham. Um, after his death, I heard this on the radio, actually. And his, I think his quote was, it's been said, um, actually I wrote it down to make sure I have his quote right. It might be said that Jesus only had two verbs, come and go come and go. And of course, in his Billy Graham way, he was able to use those two words and just spout out a bunch of phrases that just hit me. Come and go. Go out into the world as Christians. And then Pastor Mike, the other uh, man, that, man that I respect, gave a message back in August. I think it was come, enter, um, join, and go. Those four words, which was similar to what Billy Graham said. So I think our overall calling as Christians is that, similar to the Great Commission. But then if you break that down into our different values here at Valley, um, within worship, word, generosity, community, family, and mission, um, I would like for you, and my, my challenge to you is to encourage you to um, maybe in prayer or your own thoughts, um, to challenge yourself on how you can, um, how you can be called or what God has called for you within each of six of these. And it might be individually. It might be acts of service within the church. Um, it might be leadership within the church, but they're all six areas I think that are, certainly they're important to us as a church, and I think they're important to you as well. So I would encourage you to, to, to pray for that on what God has called for you. Yeah, thanks Pete. Um, I, love, I love that. Like I said, that was uh, super helpful for me as I was uh, preparing this message. It helped remind me that uh, Am I on? Okay, good. I can't remember what it sounds like up here sometimes. This was super valuable. Okay, am I? Okay, there we go. So, <laughs> this was super valuable for me as I was preparing uh, the sermon. And actually, you notice that the the values in your, in your bulletin and, and in that little bookmark are in slightly different order. And I kind of tweaked it to match that because it's hard to remember these things, to remember all six of these values. And any way that we can do that is, is, is helpful and is important because these values ultimately reflect what, what leaders of the church uh, six or seven years ago spent hours praying over and figuring out what God was calling for us as a church. And that's what these six values represent. They aren't just arbitrarily pulled out of the Bible. Well, we need six, so here's six that work. These were six values that we determined as a church were, were our main focus. These are what are going to fuel us towards our goal as a church, towards our vision. And just like we were talking about earlier about habits, these values are hard. And each one of them kind of has a habit associated with it. Uh, various habits, all of it, we all have it differently. But, but worship and word, habits of, of spending time with God in, in, in his word and prayer. Those are habits and they take time to form. Some of, we're all at different spots with that. But there's other habits on there. Generosity is a habit. Community is a habit. Family, 
mission, those are habits for us. They, they take time. They take focus. Initially, it takes a whole lot of effort to get these as a part of, of our day-to-day life. It takes a lot of effort to get there. But in the end, it's worth it because all of these goals, all of these, all of these values are working together towards our goal as a church. And, and the thought I just want to leave you with is our vision as a church. That's another thing we want you to remember. Um, remembering these values and remembering our vision. And our vision, just as, as a final remind, reminder, is that we exist to call all people into an abundant life with Jesus Christ. That is our mission. And that's how we're going to get there. It is those values that will drive us that way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we covered a lot of ground this morning, and I, and I know it's a lot to take in. But I pray this morning that, that for each of us, as we walk out of here, that we would be reminded of the values that drive us as a church family. Would you constantly put it on our hearts that these are the things, these are the habits, these are the the lifestyles that you want us to be living. And this morning, may we just be challenged to let our lives be a reflection of those values. And may we together as a church come around our vision and may we come together and, and always strive to make you known, to bring you glory, and to call all people into an abundant life with you. So it's in your holy and precious name we pray.